Welcome to Hattrick City on WXCI 91.7, Danbury's only all-hockey radio show. I know that some in our audience don't know the finer points of hockey. You want me to dummy you again? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hattrick City. I'm DJ Patty Cake, joined by DJ Uncle Matt, and we're here bringing in the new year on Hattrick City. How are you feeling about 2023 so far? I'm feeling great. Uh, just on a personal note, it was a hard year for me. Uh, you know, a couple of things happened that kind of kind of got me a little down. But it's 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 really sad to hear that in the Danbury Hattricks community, we are going to start 2023 on a somber note. Uh, with the passing of uh, absolutely devout uh, Danbury Hattricks fan Melanie um, Frankel, Frankel, who uh, passed away uh, from ALS, uh, she was a diehard Hattricks fan, great Danbury hockey fan. Uh, if if you recall, uh, last spring the team dedicated a playoff run to her. Uh, she was beginning to deal with the, the ALS condition, so uh, my 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 sincerest condolences go out to her family, uh, her husband. Uh, it's it's uh, losing somebody that you love uh, is it's just an impossible thing, you know. I was uh, you know this is the first Christmas I had without my dad. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it was something different, and uh, there's definitely an empty place. But uh, I think that Pat and I uh, can speak on behalf of Hattrick City, and and you know, and any fan that's cool with us, and extending our condolences to to Melanie and her family. Yes. And um, it, uh, I just just want to say, you know, you. you you deal with something like that as a fan base and you see overwhelming support from the players. Johnny Ruiz, um, Herm Sorcher came out. He made a statement on Facebook. Uh, Billy McCreary also upset, uh, made made some comments. I think it just goes to show the strength uh, in numbers in the Danbury community and the good, the good group of people that really are involved down week in, week out at the arena, supporting not only the players, but uh, I think this is another case in which we see the fans supporting each other. So uh, um, my deepest condolences go out to everybody who is very close to Melanie and and, uh, everybody in the fan base, really. Yes, um, and I agree with 100% of what you said. And, you know, to reiterate that, you know, Melanie was an awesome person, always there to uh, let the players in and off the ice for all the home games. Um, to my knowledge, she also traveled on the road a lot to go and catch them. So, you know, I, I never got to really speak with her, but from what I could see and how she interacted with other people, I could tell she she was a bright light that will will be missed in, in Danbury's very own Section 108. Um, well said, amen. Yes, sure. amen. Yeah. Um, we... We're we're back on the air here uh, with Hattrick City. It's it, you know just just to anybody who's listened and supported the show. We really want to thank you, Pat and I. Yes. Uh, the first half of the year w- was really great. We we had some really we had some really good numbers, um, you know, on the 
on listener uh, kind of engagement and stuff like that. On on Instagram, we've had thousands of likes. Uh, we we really appreciate everybody getting behind this. We just want to make something that the the fan base will enjoy. So it's it's really humbling to be able to talk to you guys. And uh, we we also promised that we were going to read some comments. Yes. On on the air on the show um, that were made um, by you the listeners and you the followers of Hattrick City, and they were comments that. We asked listeners to um, chime in uh, on their feelings about the 13-game suspension that was handed down uh, to Daniel Amesbury, who's just been a, uh, a true force to be reckoned with in the Federal League this season. And uh, I think it would be cool if we have the, the voice of the arena announcer read <laughs> some of the comments. So Yeah, I mean... I think you should read it in your arena voice, some of these. <laughs> some of them? Yeah, let's do it. Pull, pull one up. All right. Um, there, There's quite a bit. I mean, a lot of them are just kind of, you know, a few one-line reactions. We have one. Do uh, some bleeps, but let, yeah. let's hear Let's hear you do it in your arena voice, one of them. Come on. <laughs> let's have a little fun with this. Um, should I go into to Calvin's? Because um, he had a pretty long one. Yes. Go with that one? Okay. So our, our boy Calvin Savoya, he, he commented, um, <clears throat> this suspension, along with this previous one, I'll get to that, stems from poor officiating. Had the referees a <laughs> game... No, I can't do this in that voice now. How long? Had the referees that game called penalties based on the situation instead of the offenders, Danbury would not have had to resort to egregious hits to protect their smaller puck movers. Last game, Amesbury was given a fighting major after having never thrown a punch or even dropping his gloves. However, the refs gave him a fighting major because of the name on the back of his jersey. It seems like the league doesn't actually take the time to review the footage for the problematic hits. For example, the second suspension should not have applied. I reviewed the tape frame by frame. The hit was nowhere close to illegal. It was an open ice hit to the chest. And this is referring to that, the one that gave him an eight-game suspension, just for so people can know. Um... The hit was nowhere close to illegal. It was an open ice hit to the chest where Ames glided from an offside's face-off to the far side of the center circle. The player he made contact with looked at him as Ames crossed the blue line but no, made no attempts to prepare for an incoming hit. The injury came from the Binghamton player landing on his head, which is not the fault of Ames. People who hand out suspensions need to play devil's advocate for themselves. They need to find any reason to change the decision that they've seemingly already reached after a game sheet comes in. For the time being, Danbury could step it up with other guys stepping up to fight, which seemed to be what happened between the game, uh, between the games on the 23rd and the 27th. Ames only got into one, two by the refs book fights on the 27th, while other guys like Pamelion and Sheehan stepped up and fought for themselves. Um, we got another comment there from uh, M. Baywood, 43. If teams didn't play dirty, he wouldn't have to fight them at all fight them all too bad part of the sport free Amesbury agreed free Daniel Amesbury yeah uh, offbeat tubers replied to Baywood by saying unfortunately teams are going to start playing very dirty against Danbury since we have no enforcers we need to sign somebody um, that might be something we'll bring up on a future show to um, Billy McCreary 
Brookie Christine, it's hockey. They fight. Let him back in. Thank you, Brookie. Uh, Shane, MCC10. Weber got Amesbury too. Hard. <laughs> uh, okay, offbeat tubers, absolute bleep, but the FPHL, the league just can't handle diamond hands. Hoping we get an enforcer for the next 13 games, though. Um, David Rousseau, 24, that's effing stupid. Um, we got an oh my god from Jessica Castro and a friend of the show, who are you, 81, Lee Rocco, overkill. So we did read your comments on the show. We have a hidden comment. Let's take a quick look at it. If it, uh, F the <laughs> F the commish of FPHL, dude's a douche. I don't know if you can say that on the air, but we just did. So, um, we read the comments very quickly. Pat, what do you think about the suspension? Um, again, I have to agree with Calvin. I I feel that it came as you know because of the nameplate that he has on his jersey, as opposed to what actually um, transpired that night. Um, this being on the twenty seventh, where you know you had Basie um, in the opening period jumping him for pretty much no reason otherwise to just kind of get back at him. Um, Amesbury did not drop the gloves or even make a single hit. Somehow got a fighting major. Um, you know, again, it's he's going to have that, that reputation of being a fighter, being an enforcer, which is awesome, but the league um, obviously doesn't want to deal with it for whatever reason, even though, you know, that's a prime part of the sport. Um, again, he's never done anything dirty in his career thus far. Um I don't know. I feel like they should have went for Basie as well on that if they really wanted to. This was the it. end of a long run between two two teams who played a bunch of games together in a short time. On Friday night, just to go through it real quick, on Friday night, December 30th, Danbury beat Delaware on the road 6-1. to one. They followed that up Saturday night with a 3 to nothing win. It got ugly. I mean, listen, um... I think the fans are coming to see aggressive hockey. Uh, there's no, there's, there's no doubt about it. People are expecting it. Um, does that justify everything that happens? No, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the situation now is that the league is trying to clean things up, I guess, because Danbury's getting an advantage, and I think it's fair to say that it, it wasn't a problem until Danbury was doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, the, um, former player on, in the league, Phil Bronner, brought up an incident where Ryan Patch, uh, I, I think he broke his collarbone or his, his, his spine or his leg or some had some tough injury, and that player was only suspended seven games. So I, I think that there's just a mixed message out there. This is a tough league. You know, the, the, this league runs, you know, down, you know, the Midwest and uh, a little bit of the East and uh, down South. And this is the type of hockey that people want to see pretty much everywhere. You know, uh, that's what people want to see at a Saturday night game at Danbury Arena. So I think the league needs to check itself. The league probably is due a little bit of a reorganization, I think, with the with the Federal League. Might be time to see a little bit of action, you know, uh, maybe some type of new digital strategy, or I'm just not sure 
what the strategy is other than propping up teams in places. So I, I think they have to a little focus more on that. Um, and I don't know. The, 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 it's the same old story with this league. They're not, I think there's an identity crisis. Yeah. But uh, let's move on to one of the last parts of the early part of the show. Pat, uh, the listeners, you know, the listeners need to know how dedicated you are to this game of hockey because I, I don't really think they know what time it is. You spent <laughs> New Year's Eve going into 2023 in Worcester, Massachusetts, <laughs> watching the ECHL affiliate of the New York Islanders, the Worcester Railers. He came to the studio tonight in a Worcester Railers uh, toque uh, with a pom-pom at the top. So, Pat, tell us, what possessed you? To make this, it's got to be an over two-hour drive. Um, it was just about. Um, I traveled with with Calvin, uh, one of our commenters, um, great friend of mine, also the broadcast director for the Hattricks. Um, we've been playing this for a little while now, and you know, we decided to go up there. We felt it'd be a lot of fun just to just to go see it for the hell of it. Um, you know, it was like the perfect like two teams to see play in our case because it was both of like the affiliate teams for our favorite teams. So we went against the Maine Mariners. That's Boston's affiliate. He's a big Boston guy. So now we can both pretty much say we've both seen both of our like team's affiliates play in general. Um, but we also got these tickets that were, you know, like 18 bucks a pop. But we got a pregame skate. They have um, the Worcester Common Oval. So it's like in the middle of this park. They have an outdoor rink. Not as nice as Dom's, though. I will say that it was a bit too warm to have it going on outdoors and it was like raining too like i fell at one point and i just like slid through water but um putting that aside yeah i had been wanting to kind of complete the the trio of islander teams that are out there so i figured i mean this isn't too bad like it's not like i'm a rangers fan and i would have to go to jacksonville florida to see their east coast team this is right here in mass yeah there's a lot of good east coast uh i used to go to echl games in trenton new jersey and uh i've been to echl games i went to one in atlantic city i think uh yeah i did a long time ago so listen it it's a good night out. Um, again, I think if you go to Danbury Hattrick's games, you're a little spoiled with the level of intimacy and the uh, kind of the the one-on-one um, relationship the fans in Danbury have with with the players. But it is a fun level of hockey to watch. It, it, there's a bunch of great cities in it. You go up to Portland, Maine. Uh, there's there's some cities in in Canada that now have the ECHL and uh, you know. Um, it's a good brand of hockey. It can be fun and aggressive and a good night out, similar to, you know, Bridgeport Town Tigers games or, or Wolfpack games. Not quite as not quite as intimate, I, I don't think, as the F, FPHL. Yeah. But, listen, I, I think that we're going to tune into uh, the rest of the show, right? Yeah. It's been fun chatting with everybody, uh, or at least talking to you all. Yeah, and um... – I'm excited to start off this new year. Uh, we got a lot of awesome content coming, like I mentioned at the end of last episode. Um, we're going to work on getting some videos going, so like videos of this podcast, and then obviously the ODR Classic we're working on. Um, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and now that Ames is suspended, he'll actually have time for the... <laughs> we're even talking about doing a little bit of merch. 
Um, uh. Not not because we want to make money, but because there's cool stuff we want to do, and uh, we bounce some ideas off Dom. Hopefully, we'll we'll get to that before the winter's open over because uh, there's some cool stuff we're gonna do. But look, guys, stay tuned to the rest of the show. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Zach Pamalion, the Flying Hawaiian, number fifty-five of the Danbury Hattricks, and you're listening to Hattrick City on WXCI. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hattrick City. I'm your host, DJ Patty Cake, and I'm joined by one of the best goaltenders around in WestCon, the one and only Colin Coe. Colin, how are we doing today? Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming on. Um, you know, so far we're on a winter break right now, so not too much going on, but uh, how was your holiday? It was good. It's nice to get a little break from the from the sport sometimes, but, you know, all the guys are going to get back together, try to get on the ice as soon as we can, and, you know, the break's nice, but hockey's our life, so gotta move on that is true that is true now the next game you guys play is gonna be on the 21st it's away it's gonna be against uh u.s merchant marine academy um what do you you know what's your mindset going against that team i know that's a familiar one and especially in our division yeah it's uh it's a big revenge game for us you know we dropped a loss to them kind of before the break and um they're a good program but we can show a lot more than we did so now we now we have time to regroup and go into that game hard, and that's a fun rink to play at too. Good fan base, nice facility. It's gonna be a lot of fun, even for a road game. Yeah, and um, you know, there's been a few tough games this season, a few tough stretches. Um, any thoughts on those? You know, do you feel it was kind of like a team thing, or maybe you weren't feeling something that night? Yeah, you know, it's kind of always always a team thing. Once one guy's not really gelling, it's kind of it's really hard for everybody everybody to get on the same page and everyone's always going to make mistakes it's that type of sport but it's about overcoming it together and we've had our successes and we've had our failures but it's just growing from that becoming a better team in the process yeah um and then you know how does being on the road so much affect you guys you had like very minimal amount of home games and i know they're supposed to have a certain amount of away games if i'm not mistaken yeah it ends up role. being pretty equal but it's just the way sometimes the way the schedule's set up it's we'll have a bunch of home games in a row then we're on the it seems like we're away like 10 games in a row sometimes but uh yeah. um you know away games it's tough because especially when you have back-to-backs you know you get yes. home late your your legs are tired from the night before then you got to be like oh now i gotta get on the bus but overall though we have a lot of fun together our trips really aren't too far too bad yeah. so being on the road's not terrible, but it's always it makes coming home to our rink very nice though, because we you know, we see a lot of these other rinks and it makes us realize how much we like playing in Danbury. Yeah, um, one that I'll attest to. Um, I traveled with you guys to two games. It was one against UConn and the other against St. Thomas Aquinas. And let me tell you, I I I've never missed Danbury more in the, yeah. those two times. Um, especially UConn. I don't know what they got going on over there, but. That South Windsor barn is just not it's, it. It's one of the one of the worst around, and uh, they play in it, and it's far from their campus too. So you got to feel for those players driving all that way to South Windsor. Yeah, that that makes no sense either. I mean, you know, you have the rink on campus already. Like I know they're building a new one, mm-hmm. so I'd imagine hopefully they they take the the space on that. But like, just how was it playing in there? I know it wasn't a, the best game, and ended up being I think there was like a six one. Six one loss. Yeah, it wasn't. But. It was one of our worst games of the year, and a lot of that, a lot of that's comes to play with. It's one of your first away games with a new team, 
and then you go into a rink that's very difficult to play in when the other team clearly knows how to use it to their advantage. And yeah. um, kudos to them, but that's a, that's a learning lesson for us too and how to be able to adapt and play wherever you can because half the season's away. Yeah, you can't miss out on those points. Exactly, and for those of you that don't know, um, this place is like a time capsule. Um, the just what they got hanging on the walls, like like these old sponsors. You know, like it's companies that are still around today. Yeah. Maybe some not as relevant as the others, but like it's their old logos and then like the flags too. The big one was they had a Soviet flag just still hanging. Um, made no sense um our coach pointed out he's like do they know like the wall fell and like making that kind of joke but i don't know like i'm it, surprised it just, the rink hasn't fallen down yet from the look at it from the outside so yeah if you look at it it and it's like in a shady spot too yeah like it looks like an aircraft hangar like Set back kinda, from the road yeah kind of bad driveway it's a weird weird rink yeah and when you go like out after like a game like that where it's just dark it is like you got to get out of there. It, it's bad in, like, every aspect. And there's, like, well, like the nearest thing is, like, a Dunkin'. That's yeah, like, there's that's a Dunkin' and walking distance, and then that's pretty much it. I think there's, like, a liquor store, like, that's in front of it. Yeah. Like, on, yep. the, on the driveway in. But, uh, you know, speaking of terrible rinks, like, in your playing career, what is, like, the worst one you've had so far? Uh, there's a – some people like it. Some people don't. I'm one of the ones who don't. There's a Taft School in Watertown, their old rink, not their new rink. It's yeah. uh, probably the old. I think it is the oldest rink in Connecticut, and it's uh, it's a really weird setup, just the definition of a barn. <laughs> There's one door on the bench. It's just completely set up like it was probably 75 years ago. It's it's a really dark, tough atmosphere to play in, but for the people who like that type of thing, it's uh it is cool because I know some of the people I know, they're like, oh, I love that rink. I'm like, it was like, it brings back so much memories. I'm like, it's so hard to play there. It's just dark and cold. I don't know. But some people like that type of thing. I'm not one of them. Yeah. Um, my girlfriend's cousin played in that same rink uh, for high school. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, those games, like, it was just, like, super cold on top of that. Cause you're, and then you're even closer to the ice. Like, I know I said St. Thomas Aquinas was cold, but, like, this was... Yeah, Watertown's one of the coldest rinks I've, uh, I've been in, I think. Yeah, well, jeez. <laughs> I mean, at least you don't have, like, a Danbury thing where it's, like, it'll melt. That'll never happen there. <laughs> oh, definitely not. You never know what you're going to get in Danbury ice, though, so... Yeah, you always it's always, like, a day-to-day, which... You never know. Yeah, you never know. It's always mystery box of sorts it changes between periods sometimes (laughs) that it does um and then going back um you know we're we're gonna just dive real deep here like how did you get into goaltending like at a young age yeah I was kind of I was playing in-house at the time I was I was pretty young probably eight nine and that's kind of when I made my transition into goalie I just had a practice one day and uh one of the coaches was like you're playing goalie today. And I didn't even really have the opportunity to say no. So I just put it on, never thinking I was going to do it again. And then from that, I just kept playing from that time on. I hadn't put on forward gear again for probably years after that point. And I was just kind of, it kind of forced my hand, but I, I learned to love it. You know, when you focus so much on it, you can get pretty good pretty quick and just trying to grow, trying to grow as a young hockey player and goalie especially. And it's a cool thing. It's kind of led me to where I am now. Yeah. Um, so, like, what are some teams you might have played for as well? Because I know there was – I think you played for the Junior Wolfpack, I correct? I did, yeah. Yes. So I grew up playing youth, uh, you know, with Western, Northwestern, just your, you know, Connecticut Hockey Conference teams. And then 
played high school in, in Danbury for Brookfield Bethel Danbury Ice Cats, and then I went along to uh, play the Hartford Junior Wolfpack in uh, USPHL, and that's kind of where I where I learned a lot of the uh, a lot of the game and how to play at a high level, how to compete, and how to act. And being one of the younger players on that team really really taught me where I could learn from some of the older goalies there. And then uh, and from there, I just I really wanted to play at the next level, and you know, it took me to Westcon you know hometown guy being able to play a play at a school you where you watch growing up and that was a cool feeling to be able to commit there yeah um and you know that you're coming up now this is your senior season um you know how does it feel you know to have done the four years i know like uh what, what were you studying originally so i've always been a been a nursing major here at westcon so it's been oh, a lot wow. to uh it's been a lot to you know figure out because of schedules and yeah. workload but you know hockey's been that escape for me for these past four years where you know I might have an exam the next day but I don't have to worry about it. I'm not stressing about it because I'm on the rink with the team you know and that's uh that's a really cool feeling to have I think sports in general especially with hockey it's such a support system for so many guys you know just the team camaraderie yeah and that that's really you know I always say that you get you know you're on your head in most games but you're on your head in life man like that's <clears throat> that's a lot to yep. do the nursing program and then you know have these practices that are at like 10 at night and then you go into the next day and probably like did you have like morning classes or yeah the and, you know you'd have late you'd have a late practice at 10 11 o'clock and then you're up at up at four to head over to the hospital for your clinical rotations and early nursing classes and it's a grind that's for sure it's about time management a lot of time management Wow, but you're you're finally here. You got one more semester to go. Yep, we're getting close. Um, you know, going into the last semester of games, I mean, how does it feel? You know, like does time fly for you, or did it kind of? Yeah, it definitely flies. Cause I remember, I remember my first game, my first game with Westcon when I was a freshman, and it's like, it's like it's already the end, which is really hard to take. So it's like you want to do whatever you can to make every game practice worth it, and see if you can continue farther, whether that be with grad school or taking some classes or moving on to some degree. or, But um, it's it definitely has flown, and COVID didn't help that either when we had a year canceled. Yeah. So then, then you lose a year of hockey right there. So I'm only on my third season here at WestCon, and my first year I didn't play a full year either because I joined the team pretty late. So and you definitely regret that now when it comes to an end. Yeah. You know, so it's uh it definitely flew by, that's for sure. I mean, but then um, you also have, you know, your side work as well. So you, you coach. I do a lot of coaching, yep. Um, so you do, like, one-on-ones or do you do, like, teams, like, little, you know. Like yeah, all the, all the above. I do one-on-ones and then I coach, coach youth hockey at younger ages, like 10U, and then I have uh, 18U that I work with as well. And then I also coach a high school team locally. So there's a lot a lot of schedules to bounce around. Yeah. Um, which high school team, if you don't uh, mind Carmel, asking? New York. Oh, okay. All right. What's that like over there? Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, you know, because these are, they're they're kids who are relatively close to my age too. So I've just been through the process, and I know what they want to do with their hockey careers, and I've been through and can help guide them. And uh, it's been really fun working with that age group, just in the trying to get them ready to go to the next level, get into college themselves. Yeah. Um, would this be another thing you'd want to pursue, like with nursing? Like this would be like you know another job you have on top of nursing. Yeah, and I'd always this? want I'd always want to keep hockey coaching around for sure. It's just a passion of mine, it, and it'll it balances out well with the rest of the other things I'm doing in life, like nursing. Yeah, um, 
do you have like a an ideal position you want to do with that degree uh yeah i'm uh i'd be going into psychiatric nursing oh okay. that's kind of the field i've liked the most and it's just uh and it's definitely a need right now so should yeah. always be able to have a job no of course i with all the healthcare, I, I respect all that, and they're they're always in need of people. So, you know, you're you're, you're in a good spot. Yep. Um, you know, you'll have coaching. People are gonna need coaches. You'll be a nurse. People need those a lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then you know you have a few other teammates as well, uh, like our captain. He's also in his senior year. Um, what can you tell us about playing with him for the past you know few years? Yeah. So playing with Justin. It's been a, a real pleasure, a real honor to play with him and get to know him on a, such a personal level. We started together in that freshman year, four years ago now, and we've just really become close friends. And he really is a great guy, great leader, and has done so much for this program and uh, in turning it around and growing it and leading it to where it is now. And I think when both of us, when both of us leave, it's going to be in a better spot than when we came in. And I think that's the mission for for both of us. You know, he's been he's been a great leader for the team just because he knows what it's like to play at the high level with high compete and be able to play in this league and do very well. He's a great role model, especially for the freshmen, sophomores who come in who maybe they don't really know how it works at the high levels or at the college levels. He makes it easy, ever easy for everybody to fit in. You know, I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, very welcoming guy. Um, we had him on the podcast a few other times before. Um, was I believe the second or third episode we had him on we had a nice discussion about that and you know he said the same thing that you were saying you know just to you know leave it better than you found it originally and lead these freshmen and sophomores into you know something better um and then going into that as well we also have you know max as he's been acting as the backup uh for this season how do you feel about you know him being as of right now he's kind of the future of the team yeah, Max is um, Max is one of my favorite goalie partners I've ever worked with. He's always been extremely supportive, and we kind of bonded right from the start, and that's a great, you know, goalies, you always want to have a good relationship, and it, it is tough sometimes, but he's been a guy who's always had my back, and whether I played well or didn't play so well, and I can say the same with him, just we support each other, and I think uh, if, he, if he continues along with us, it'll be very good for the team and good for him, and um, we'll have to see. I know he's been... He's been looking at some some other options too because everyone has their own things going on in life. But I hope he I hope he pursues it and stays around because he really is a, a great goalie and a great kid and great asset to this program. Yeah, and um, you know, leading into this final stretch of the semester, is there anything you want to tell the fans of what to expect coming up? And then you know, we got those last two home games in February. Um, what do you got? Yeah, well, we're just we're really grateful for the support we've had this year, and because I think. Uh, it's been a lot better than in the past, and a lot of people realize that Westcon hockey's here and it's competitive and it's a fun, great environment to go to. And you know, we start on the road, so we'll have a couple of games away, and then once we get back home, we just want to hopefully get as many people there as possible because we're going to play really hard for you guys, no matter what the outcome is. We're going to make it exciting. You know, we love having fans there. It just really, we can really rally behind that, and put a better product on the ice, just make it a fun experience for everybody. Awesome, and then. A few other things that we always ask our guests, um, you know, we always always look for, like, what's your favorite NHL team that you follow? Uh, I'm a Boston Bruin fan. Okay. All right. You guys are on a pretty good stretch this year. Yeah, they're having a great year, to my surprise, but they're having a great year. So yeah. That's good. 
Yeah. Um, and then we also ask, um, what's your favorite place like to eat in town? And, you know, for those listening, this is not sponsored in any way, shape or form. We just want to know what the players like around here. Um, you know, uh, well, yeah, around, around here. And you can, you can ask probably just about anybody on the team. Cause we always seem to go to the same places, but down at Elmer's diner, cause it's late night after late practice or a uh, late game, we always know we can get some food. So it's kind of, it's kind of the spot we frequent. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Um, you know, again, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, I'm going to be watching those last few games, and, you know, hopefully we, we make it fun at least to, That's all that matters. to go, out, want. go out on a high note. Yeah, for so, sure. So, again, thanks, Colin, for coming in. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Hattrick City weekend schedule. Starting in college hockey at Quinnipiac, the men's team is home facing against Dartmouth on Friday, January 6th and against Harvard on Saturday, January 7th. Both games are set for a 7 p.m. puck drop. In women's hockey, the Bobcats are facing Harvard in the 2023 Frozen Fenway on Friday, January 6th and against Dartmouth at home on Saturday, January 7th. Both games are set for a 3 p.m. puck drop. At UConn, the men's team faces Northeastern in the 2023 Frozen Fenway on Saturday, January 7th for a 2.30 p.m. puck drop. In women's hockey, the Huskies are off for this weekend and will be back next week. At Sacred Heart, the men's team are on the road against UNH on Sunday, January 8th, which is set for a 3 p.m. puck drop. In women's hockey, the Pioneers are on the road to face Stonehill College on Friday, January 6th for a 5 p.m. puck drop and Saturday, January 7th for a 1 p.m. puck drop. At Yale, the men's team will be on the road for the weekend, starting with a Friday, January 6th contest against Merrimack with a 7 p.m. puck drop, as well as Saturday, January 7th against Vermont with a 2 p.m. puck drop. In women's hockey, the Bulldogs are on the road for a matchup against Clarkson on Friday, January 6th with a 6 p.m. puck drop, and a matchup against St. Lawrence on January 7th for a 3 p.m. puck drop. In pro hockey, the Danbury Hattricks are back home for two games against Carolina on Friday, January 6th with a 7.30 p.m. puck drop and Saturday, January 7th with a 7 p.m. puck drop. The Bridgeport Islanders face Springfield on the road on Friday, January 6th with a 7.05 p.m. puck drop. Then Bridgeport hosts Providence on Saturday, January 7th for a 7 p.m. puck drop. The Hartford Wolfpack are on the road as they face Utica on Friday, January 6th for a 7 p.m. puck drop, as well as Wilkes-Bar Scranton on Saturday, January 7th for a 6.05 p.m. puck drop. The New Jersey Devils host the Rangers on Saturday, January 7th, which is set for a 1 p.m. puck drop. And the New York Islanders are on the road against Calgary on Saturday, January 6th with a 9 p.m. puck drop. And that will conclude this week's Hattrick City weekend schedule. Hey, this is Brian Wilson, goalie for the Danbury Hattricks, and you're listening to Hattrick City on WXCI. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to <coughs> Hattrick City. Today we have a very exciting guest in the building. By the way, this is DJ Patty Cake with DJ Uncle Matt. As always, we have the legendary man, myth, legend, Herm wow, Sorcher wow. in the building. There's How are we doing? One Herm Sorcher. I, I, I don't know, man. We, <laughs> we have a bit of a legend on the show tonight. Uh, let's be honest. 
it's a person who really needs no introduction around the city of Danbury. But for those people that may not know, uh, you know, what goes on during the day uh, here in the city to keep hockey going, uh, we we got the guy right here that not only brought hockey back once, but he did it twice. And uh, this time uh, things are really going good. Everybody, everybody around town is. Uh, I think this is. We've got something special going on right now in terms of attendance, in terms of the vibe in the building, the kids. And uh, the truth is, it, it's really not possible at all without Herm and his, his, uh, the alliance he formed with the Diamonds, and and Chris and everybody that's involved, uh, that brought hockey uh, back to Danbury. So Herm, it's really an honor to have you on the show. It's it's really about. Uh, the house that you built in a lot of ways. So. Yeah. Wow. I, I look. I'm gonna just right out of the gate. I'm gonna tell you. I, I'm just part of a team. I'm just like I'm just a cog in the. Um, You're a piece. Yeah, a cog in the yeah a cog in the machine. A spoke in the wheel. Uh, just uh, part of hockey in Danbury, a caretaker of whatever, you know, whatever the community wants. But uh, thank you for the introduction and. Uh, you know, look, way more, way more, you know, look, uh, there are so many people who have made um, hockey in Danbury way, you know, way bigger than me, way more important than me. Um, I'm just part of it. So uh, thank you. But uh, I defer to all others. This, despite this introduction, we were cursing at each other and hanging up on each other just three months ago. So don't don't <laughs> don't, don't get it twisted. But, you uh, insulted me. Well, you know, you, you put you, me in a situation where I had to insult you. you. But but listen, but listen. And ne- never, I don't. Eh, all right, go ahead. To me, it's all water under the bridge. Me and you are keep it moving type, next yeah, play type I, guys. Right. Uh, anyway, but the thing I think is is most important to talk about is Herm. You know, I don't. I think a lot of people know how you returned to Danbury yeah, yeah. because they know you from being, you know, one of the main forces yeah. behind the Danbury Whalers from the day-to-day operations and the management, the ownership side. But but I don't know if everybody actually in town knows the kind of step-by-step that brought you here in the first place. Wow. Well, um, hey, first of all, whatever you guys want to talk about tonight, we can do that. I, I love talking hockey in Danbury and the journey um that we're that we're on and the fans and all the things that got us here um you know for me personally yes you know what brought me here um there's no there's no quick version of it but here's probably as fast as i can do it i'm gonna look at the time so i'm gonna clip myself at a certain point but uh I worked 17 years in minor league baseball and then uh one thing led to another and i got a shot to be a part of a, a brand new startup hockey league called the Eastern Professional Hockey League. This was in 2000, um, <clears throat> 2007, 2008 season. And I remember I, I was just, I was like, man, I love hockey so much. And, the, you know, it's my passion. But I'd, I've been working in professional baseball for so long. I, I did work in the National Hockey League as well for three years. But I just was... I just was kind of tired of baseball. I, I wanted a new change. So I saw this league. It was like, hey, we're starting up a league. It's four teams all on the East Coast. Cody Arena, Danbury Ice Arena, Aviator Complex. And, you know, there was a few other things going on at the time. But it was basically going to be in Newburgh. And I was like, my God. I was like, these guys are looking for 1,000 people a game. I was like, I'm working at a baseball stadium that's drawing three or 4,000 a night. 
Uh, I was like, I could do this in my sleep. Well, what I didn't really put together was all the pieces and all the equation that went to it. But uh, that was re- so. I became the vice president of the Eastern Professional Hockey League, and I was tasked with building four markets at the same time, which sounds great on paper. But as I started to execute it, it was like, hey, I, I need help. I can't. You know, if you're in Danbury working and doing something, you can't be in Brooklyn doing something. So. It was it was really challenging to divide my time, but anyway, that was that was really my intro to um, to Danbury for hockey. I mean, I was my last baseball job was in was with the Sussex Skyhawks and uh, New Jersey Jackals, which was Floyd Hall Enterprises, who actually own the Danbury Ice Arena. So I knew about it. I was you worked I, for the Jackals as well, huh? I I did. I mean, like. In in name only, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. Like, I wasn't there day to day, but I was there, um, like, I was handling all the marketing. So, like, when, when uh, you know, there, there might have been, like, a, let's just say, like, a Buffalo, Buffalo Wild Wings might have had a couple locations, one in Sussex County, Morris County, wherever. So, I would meet with organizations like that, a lot of what I'm doing today, mm-hmm. but because there was a team in one Regional side. Type yeah, thing. so I was really focusing. So... So yeah, I represented the Jackals. I represented the Danbury Ice Arena. So I, I had like a working knowledge of it. I remember I went to one Trashers game because I was part of the organization. I remember walking in. I was like, it was like a Sunday afternoon. It was packed. It was, you know, wow. it's pretty crazy. But um, so anyway, the Eastern Professional Hockey League started. We had a really good year. We did a lot of good things. And did I did get a buzz. That league had it, a little bit did. of a buzz. It yeah. did. I loved it. I, I to this. You guys got on MSG, didn't you? With we the, did a couple yeah. times. We yeah. had Nick Fatiu there. We had another feature. Ron DeGay. Ron Duguay, um, you know, it was uh, it was amazing the amount of like relationships you could leverage and be like, hey, I need this favor. Could you do this? We're really trying to launch this. And actually, Nick Fatiu and Ron Duguay, that all started from a guy that I knew in a bar in New Jersey wow. who knew Fatiu, Greshner, all these guys. And he's like, I can get them. I'm like, I was like, yeah, right. Sure you can. He gives me the number. I end up on the phone with Nick Fatiu and I'm like, uh, you know, after you get through all the talking Ranger stuff as a kid and whatever, and you, you're like, "Hey, we're doing this night. Would you be interested in doing it? You know, we we want you to play." He's like, "Well, not. I was like, I can't play anymore." I was like, "Well, how about can you coach? Can you do that?" And like, that's really how it built. And then, and then it became, "Hey, we got Fatiu, and it got publicity." Then it became, we connected to Ron Dugay, and it was kind of like, "Hey, we we didn't make fools out of ourselves. We were doing some good things." So now Duguay was in, and then we're like, "Hey, how can we really?" Hey, you know, Duguay ended up playing Friday night for Brooklyn, and then Saturday night for New Jersey. It was really, it was awesome, and it was like such a roadmap of how you would launch a league. But ultimately, the league didn't succeed. There was, you know, there was challenges that we had, and I remember, let's, you know, the the, the way I would tell the story is there was ten people in the league. Five people knew hockey and knew some things that we could do. And then, you know, the other five were kind of, they were in it, but they weren't, you know, they they, they had other careers. They were, you know, they they weren't married to it the same way that we were. So um, the five that were like, hey, we can still do this. They were like, let's let's keep this going. Let's try to get this going to the next level. And and really that's, that's kind of how we launched the Federal Hockey League. And I remember uh, myself, Chris Firiolo, and Tom Westfall, we met with Don Kernan at the Ice Vault in Wayne, New Jersey. And it was like a September of 2009. And we, we talked about it. And Don, I remember Don was like, <clears throat> he, you know, he was relying on me to 
because I had worked so many years in, in minor league sports, he's like, you know, can we sell this many tickets? Can we sell this amount of sponsorship? I was like, yeah, we can. I was like, it, it can it can develop. So Don was like, all right, let's let's do this. And and I remember I, I said, hey, I'm I'm interested in being involved. I'd love to be involved. Um, but I want to be the owner of the Danbury team. And if you give me three months, I was like, I'll put together the money to buy the team, to fund the team, and to do all those things. And that was really how I be. And they said yes. And that, that was how I became an owner of the Danbury Whalers and was part of launching the Federal Hockey League. And uh, <clears throat> that was like my... That that was like a that that was like a lifetime highlight. That was uh, it was phenomenal. And, and you know we you know you guys talked about the intro. Let me say the Danbury Whalers. None of that happens unless the people who believed in me supported me. Like I went to, I went to a lot of people. Not yeah. And let me rephrase. It. I went to a I went to a bunch of people, and pretty much they all said yes. They all said yeah. I'll be involved. And whether it was. You know, whether it was $1,000 or $50,000, whatever the number was, uh, they believed in me. And for that, I was just grateful. So uh, that was the that was the start. That was, we launched the team, I think, <clears throat> I think like December 29th, 2009. And it was one of the greatest days of my life, without question. It's the Whalers. Yeah. yeah. Where did you guys actually have the press conference for that? At it, the arena? Yeah, it was on the second floor of the Danbury Ice Arena. And uh, I remember it was packed. And I remember um, a lot, I mean, just so many great things. And I remember, well, I'm, you know, I'm definitely an emotional guy. Like, things hit me. But I, w I would always say th I'm emotional when things mean the world, you know, when they mean the world to me. Um, so I remember I grabbed my notes, I grabbed my paper, and I was ready to start speaking. And I would, I could publicly speak in front of thousands of people all the time i mean i i did it many times for minor league baseball but it just struck me i i could not get the words out and a very emotional day finally i did and it was you know i i think people were look after the trashers they had uh the new england stars they had the danbury mad hatters and you know i was part of the mad hatters league i wasn't you know very visible with the danbury franchise but um I think people were like, hey, this guy's worth a shot. Like, give this guy a chance. And uh, and I remember saying a lot of things that day and making a lot of uh, statements and promises to fans. I believe we, we kept and we held true and we we uh, we did a lot of good things. The Whaler days were five phenomenal years um, for me, my family, the, I thought the city and the fans. And I, I love those days. Look back on them very fondly. Speaking of that, probably I don't I don't <clears throat> think everybody knows, but you actually had a couple of a few other Whaler days uh, prior to that with the original Hartford Whalers, Connecticut's NHL team. Yeah. Uh, it's I think it's I think it's a really cool part of even your personal story that you're here now and you you go back to that time when then there was NHL in in Connecticut. Yeah. Could you just what are your fondest yeah. memories and and what what oh was actually your role there? Well, the Hart the Hartford Whalers was unbelievable experience. I was there in 89, 90, 1991 and 91, 92. Wow. It was when I was in the University of Hartford and the way I got the job was uh one of my fraternity brothers at the University of Hartford, Sigma Phi Epsilon fraternity. 
said to me, hey, I'm going down to the Civic Center to talk to them about an internship. I have an interview. You want to come with me? I'm like, yeah. It's like Steve, Steve Edelman was the guy. I said, Steve, yeah, let me let me go with you. We go down there. Um, you know, we both interviewed. They they liked us, whatever. Um, I remember Steve couldn't do the job for, for some reason. I don't remember what. And they said to me, um, you know, my I remember my advisor wouldn't approve it for credit. So I was like, this is kind of insane here's a dream job the nhl the hartford let me in like let me figure out a way so it turned out they they needed help so bad so i was actually in the ticket office not wearing like a excuse me not wearing a striped shirt and a funny hat but sitting in the ticket office with a shirt with a tie calling people uh selling season tickets selling group tickets ticket plans um it was the main office of the hartford whalers which was on the eighth floor of 242 trumbull street so I would take the elevator up, and it would be like a regular day to have Gordy Howe in that elevator with me, um, Eddie Johnston, the GM. Um, I remember being in the elevator, riding up with uh, Richard Gordon, who was the owner of the team, and their number one draft pick, Bobby Holik. It was like, you know, I was like, man, this is this is unbelievable. It was pretty, it was pretty crazy, um, you know, and just to to go around to be a part of that it was like this is what a professional organization is this is this was a, a dream so the 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 beauty of when they got hired was my advisor wouldn't approve it they needed help so the woman who was the running the ticket office Kathy Conran said okay hey Herm we're, we're gonna hire you I need help so bad I need you know we need you so her and Jeff Miranda who Jeff has gone on to work you know for the the Chicago Bears Houston Rockets uh, uh, Phoenix Coyotes just all over the place so many different jobs Jeff was such a message they're like all right you're gonna get five dollars an hour you're gonna get a quarter for every ticket you sell and you're gonna get two tickets to every game I'm like wait a minute I was like I'm 21 years old. You're going to give me two tickets to every National Hockey League game. I was like, I'll do whatever you guys want me to do. And I was like, this is the greatest job in the world. So I had an unbelievable experience. I worked three years with the Whalers. And um, the memories there were unreal. Like we, we got to take great road trips to Montreal to see the team play. Um, when the team played Boston in the playoffs, you know, the, the Whalers rented a bus uh, you know, a charter bus. So we go up there. The whole front office is is on that bus, and let me just tell you, it was a good time. Like it was, I was 21 years old, having the time of my life. And did they go uh, to the playoffs? I think they went to the playoffs. We did. Well, yeah. it was it was like a it was like a life changing moment. Like I, I think, in fact, for a lot of people. So did in, they, did it, they have a good run <clears> in that first? They year? did in 89. So 89. That 90, was one of their big years. 89. 90 was my first year, and it was unbelievable. The team, I think, was. I think they finished, I don't remember the exact numbers, I think they finished 5th or 7th overall in the NHL. But they, that was the I think that was the first year they changed the format to where you were only playing your division rivals. You know, like all the Adams division played each right. other. All. So the way it broke down was the Whalers would have played the New York Rangers in a best of five. And again, I got a quarter for every ticket. We had about... Seven or eight thousand season ticket holders, so there was like another seven thousand tickets to be had for me and the other guys working. So it was like, so again, so now it didn't it didn't work out that we we're playing the Rangers, but that was like what was on my mind. So we played Boston first round, 
and I go up to the game. Still close enough, right? I oh mean, yeah, oh it was it was unreal. Well, so I go up to I go to the Boston Garden with me and one of my buddies, Mike Daglio. We go to uh, who Mike became the president of Danbury Hospital down here. Wow. You know, what a, what a journey for him. So we go to the game. We're sitting in the front row of the Boston Garden. First time I was ever there. The Whalers win the game, I think, four to three. There's a picture of Pat Verbeek on the front page of the Hartford Current. Pat Verbeek shooting Ray Bork in the in the uh, same picture. And then on the first row, just to the side of Pat Verbeek, is me and Mike Daglio. Front page of the Hartford Current. Great memory. Um, so here was the critical game, though. So we, um, Whalers win the first game, lose the second game. Third game, they're winning, I think, 5-2 to two going to the third period. The Bruins make make the change to from Rajon Lemlin to uh, Andy Moog. Wow. The Bruins score four goals in the third period, go on to win the game six to five, and the Whalers won the I, yeah the Whalers won the next night, and or maybe it was maybe it was the Whalers won game three. Maybe I'm thinking of game four. I think that's what it was. The Whalers won game three. Game four, Bruins. Game four was the game. So if the Whalers were up three to one in that series, I really think it would have changed the course of history for the Hartford Whalers. The Bruins went on to win that series. <clears throat> and in their history, the Whalers only won one first-round series. That was against uh, the Quebec Nordiques. So, uh, tough run. But I, I loved working for Hartford. It was great experience. And uh, Pat Verbeek was my one of my favorite New Jersey Devils. He was traded to the Whalers at that point. And I got him to sign that picture. And then, coincidentally enough, his brother Brian, Brian Verbeek is now a coach in the Federal Hockey League. Something you may have forgot. You guys drafted Verbeek's son with the Danbury Whalers. I told I, I told Brian that story the other day. I said, uh, what is uh, Kyle Verbeek? I think. Yes, yeah, so I think it was him. Kyle Kyle Verbeek. So we came up with the Federal Hockey League draft, and Kyle Verbeek, out of Sacred Heart, was drafted. And uh, I remember speaking to him. I was like, "Look, I was like, uh, part of the game plan of what we wanted to do here was like, it was always a dream, um, to sign a a son." of a Hartford Whaler player to our roster. We actually did one. You'll, you would never guess who it was unless I told you previously. Did I? Did well, I? let's hear it. You got a guess? I don't know. There's so right, many. I'll I don't give know. It to you. Well, yeah, we tried to, we tried to sign. Oh, you I, didn't sign the guy. No, I, we drafted him, and I said, come play. I said, come no, play. I mean, the guy you did sign. We did sign, yeah. It was uh, Don Maloney, who most oh, people— Oh, Donnie Maloney. <clears throat> most people don't even remember that Don Maloney was a Hartford Whaler. Very briefly, but we signed Don Maloney Jr. He played one game for the Danbury Whalers, so we, we got to check a box that we did that. But uh, there was a few guys who had kids. Ulf Samuelson, I think, had kids uh, who played for Boston College, I, I think. I can't remember now. Um, I remember I was in a conversation with Mark Johnson's son, who you know, Mark Johnson, the 1980 Olympian, who was a uh, a former Hartford Whaler. His son was playing Division Three hockey, a small school in Minnesota, and I was like, I I really painted the picture for him. I was like, I was like, hey, come here and you, you're on the team. I was like, we, we just want to kind of you know do this, and I think you'll you'll love it, and the fans will love you. But he didn't he didn't want to pursue pro hockey. Wow. So that was it, you know. But uh, yeah, good stuff, great times, I loved. Loved it. Something you may or may not want to sound off on. What do you think happened? I, you're a graduate. Uh, you're an alumnus of the University of Hartford. Oh. What, what do you think happened up there? Oh, man. There, as For people who don't know or nah. are listening to the show, the University of Hartford will be 
they're in the process of yeah. of re- removing themselves from Division One sports and moving down to a D three school. Yeah, I'm sure this is crushing to some people. What, Herm? Your your comments? Oh, as an alum, I'm I'm destroyed. I I like how could they do this? But you know, they tried to make it make sense financially, and I guess those are the decisions that they made with their board and. They examine the numbers, but yeah, to to go from Division One to Division Three, I mean, look, there's no shame in Division Three sports. I mean, it's f- phenomenal. Um, you know, tons of great things happen on the Division Three level. Um, but I was uh, I was a student for some of the first years for the University of Hartford as a as a Division One program in uh, <clears throat> in 1987, and uh, there were some really exciting moments and a uh, ton of good times. Um, would we have had the same good times with the team if it was Division Three? I mean, we probably would have, but uh, you know, it was. Uh, there's no Vin Baker, uh, right? No, there's no, no Vin Baker NBA. Right, right. Like, no, there's not. Know. Well, no, I mean, Je- well, Jeff Bagwell, Vin Baker, yeah. um, you none know, of those guys. A ton of guys have come through University of Hartford now. Um, yeah, the landscape just changed. I, I, I wish they would have. I, I don't know. I wish they would have made a different decision, but you know, look. I Did you ever do anything like with the athletic department while you were there in school? Yeah, I was. Um, I mean, number one, I tried out for the baseball team. I, I wanted to be a walk-on. I, I, I tell you, to this day, I know. I know I was good enough. I know if I stuck with it for four years, uh, they probably would have just felt bad for me and would have been like, put the, put this guy in the team one year. I was good enough. I know I was. Uh, I wouldn't have been a star Division One player, but I would have been. I could have filled a role, and I and I say that conf- confidently in that I played against plenty of guys who played division one baseball and you know i could thought you hung in with him i thought i hung in i wasn't you know but i don't i'm not a big guy i don't run i don't have lightning speed i don't throw 90 miles an hour and i can't hit the ball over the fence i'm just a good baseball player so over the course of the season you know i think those things help a team win and i'm a team guy i'm a glue guy and uh that, that stuff all translates so did i ever do anything athletically so number one i tried out tried out my first year didn't make it and then that was it um, and then my second, uh, my my other years, I, I was uh, they were launching a sports management program, so I got involved with that. And then as I graduated, or you know, I skipped one thing. I was I was a broadcaster, so I actually did. I I was on the uh, student radio station, like like you boys are, and I actually called a very famous game in the history of of sports, even of college sports. Do you know what that game was? No, tell us. Well, in nineteen eighty seven, eighty eight, somewhere in there. Uh, Siena College came down with the measles, and they were quarantined. So here we lived COVID last year, so it was kind of f- uh, familiar to that. But um, Siena came down; the entire campus came down with the measles, and they were Mark Showbiz Brown, who's coaching. Uh, where's he coaching now? Is he at St. Peter's or something? Possibly. I, I can't even yeah. think. No, uh, no, he's not. St. <clears throat> um, so they Siena had a great team. So so the University of Hartford was the first game that. Sienna was going to play in an empty gym where everybody had to be vaccinated. So I had to get a measles shot. So I was, as a broadcaster, I got a measles shot and we called the game and it was on closed circuit TV. And then that was a Friday night. And I remember the next day on Saturday afternoon, they're showing college basketball highlights on CBS when that was, you know, really the only CBS or NBC. That's all you were watching. And they said, hey, let's check out some clips from the University of Hartford. And they showed the student center where the fans were watching the game. But that was a big thrill to call that game. So, all right, you asked me what I did at the University of Hartford. I tried out for the team, got cut. I called the basketball games for a couple of years. 
And then upon my graduation, I went to work for the basketball team uh, doing sports marketing. And, uh, you know, so at the time I was working for the Hartford Whalers and I was working for uh, the university. But uh, awesome time. I mean, great, great thing. You know, it was it was those were great days. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of cut back a little bit. To, yeah. You know, the you get here. What was that, 2010 with the Whalers? 2010, yeah. Do you remember when you moved up here about, like around? Yeah, I was commuting back and forth. I remember I was commuting back and forth, and I remember the nights were getting very late because, you know, there was no way, where I lived in New Jersey up in Sussex County, there was no way to cut the drive. It was was an hour and 40, two hours, whatever it was. I mean, that was it. So there were days where I stayed up here in a hotel, um, but then I remember one night I'm driving on one of these back roads in Sussex County and I swear to God, this 18 wheeler was coming right at me wow. and I was just like, Oh my God. I was like, I was like, I don't want to die this way. Yeah. And I remember I was just like, Hey, we, we really got to figure this out. So, so the family moved up to Connecticut with me and, uh, you know, it was pretty, uh, again, you talk about that opening press conference, December 29th of two, 2009 and, and, uh, my Sammy was, uh, a year, you know, and uh, like five months, and Max was probably four months old. Wow! And I remember I said to the fans that day, You're "I was pretty like, close in age, huh?" Yeah, yeah oh yeah. Uh, uh, I said to the fans that day at the press conference, I, I said, uh, <clears throat> "I said, here's my cell phone." And again, I really tried to, I really tried to be as open as I could. Like, uh, and, and I said, "I'm, you know, yes, I'm one of the owners of the team. I'm part of the group, but you can call me anytime." And I said to the fans that day, here's my cell phone number, 973-713-7547. I said, call me anytime. I was like, the only things I'll be doing, I'll either be at a game, playing ball hockey, changing a diaper, or feeding my kids. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's it. I was like, those, so I was like, if, I, if I'm not doing any of those other things, I'm going to answer the phone, and you can ask me anything, and I want you to feel confident that when you spend a dollar with our team and you call us up, you know, you're going to get an answer. You're not going to get a runaround. You're not going to get red tape. <clears throat> you're going to get, you know, you're going to get a decision and or or a reasoning as to why something went a certain way. And I tell you, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, you're crazy for putting your cell phone out there. I got to tell you, in the five years, I, 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 I don't even, I don't, there, there was never like an obscene call or a, a late night call that was out of line. Nothing. It was... The fans were respectful, you know, and I would do it again. I'd, I'd do it again. I, I've, it's easy to get in touch with me. Tell us a little bit about, <laughs> I mean, th- th- there were some good times in Danbury. I, I, just to kind of fast forward for you a yeah. little bit. I mean, listen, the first season they had the Aquasazni guys. It was like yeah. an all-star team of whatever. And they, yeah. they, they ran away with the league. The second season... Danbury lost its coach and he went to Jersey to do his yeah. own thing. They won the whole thing and then I guess it was the <clears> third <throat> season. Yeah, we um we you know, look, I I love looking back at the history of the Whalers and um I was actually saying it today to Billy McCreary and Tyler Noseworthy and I said, Hey boys, you know, just remind I forget what we were talking about, but you know, I said, hey, just a reminder, the only team that has made the, the Federal Hockey League playoffs or finals three straight years is the Danbury Whalers, the only team that made the finals three straight years, and we did it in 2012, 13, and 14. And um, 
<clears throat> you know, but look, the first year the team Chris Firiolo built was unreal. It was off the charts. We had huge crowds. We had an electric energy in the building, the fans. You know, if the I, I don't know if I could say the fans returned to the arena, but, you know, they, I, I, I always the measuring stick I would always ask was, hey, is this... A lot of time had passed. You were building something new. Yeah, but I was like, hey, is this the trashers? Is this, is this what it was like? And people were always like, yeah, this is getting there. You know, you're on your way. You're, you're getting there. And, uh, and you know, that that was like, that's what we, we strived for. So, um, you know, then by 2012, our next, you know, the 11-12 season, we we built off that first year and had, you know, 400 season ticket holders and, you know, just amazing community support and um, things were going great. We built a fantastic team, but we ran into the New Jersey team. <clears throat> that was really, really, um, you know, they were built to win a championship that year. The third year, the 2012-13 season, when I look back at that team, it was like a combination of the 86 Mets, the 78 Bronx Zoo Yankees, and the Oakland A's of the 70s. It was like a cast of characters <laughs> where, you know, these guys were just like, I mean, a bunch of wild dudes <laughs> who just had the greatest time. And, you know, I look back at it, I'm like, how did we ever reel all these guys in, you know, to behave and buy in and, you know, go along? And, you know, really we had we had great leaders Phil Esposito was a great coach for us. John Krapinski, um, you know, the leaders of the team, Mike Brown, Ed Campbell, um, Mike Atkinson. <clears throat> you know, these guys just these guys just led the team and you know, Phil a coin. And I always joke with Tyler, like, uh, you know, I you know, I I always bring up Tyler. You know, anytime we're talking about the future of Danbury and what's going on and we're talking to fans and parents and players and and I always talk about Tyler and how he came in as a player and I'm like Tyler you know you were you were 21 years old you know you barely said a word that year and I was like you know now look at look at you now and you know it was like it, it, it yeah it's 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 awesome to see how these guys have grown and uh you know Steve Brown was on that team and you know I always talk about Steve Brown we, we uh Cape Cod had folded and <clears throat> so we there was a dispersal draft and we myself and um Phil Esposito were on the phone with Steve. We had him on speakerphone. We're like, Steve, we're we're really thinking about drafting you here in this. Are you are you gonna come to Danbury? Are you gonna come here? And I remember Steve said, um, I'm gonna come there and I wanna play Steve Brown hockey. And we're like, Okay, that that's awesome, man. What tell us what that is he's like well i want to i want to play hockey i'm not i'm not here to fight i'm not here to you know be a goon he's like if that's what you want he's like i'm not doing it he's like i'm here to play steve brown hockey and every year steve brown won uh an award for us or you know we had a chance to recognize steve i would always repeat that story and i always would say to him you know you showed us what steve brown hockey is and you know we're just beyond grateful to uh, to have a guy like you here. So, Steve, you know, I love seeing Steve Brown's coming back this weekend to coach. Uh, guys like that, man, I just, I love it, you know. And, oh, James Sanford, another great guy. I mean, look, I could run down that team, but James Sanford, an American Hockey League player, he, he captained us. He was he was one of the guys who was a captain on that team. Just so many great guys, great, great cast of characters. The, the 13 team was unbelievable. 
Unbelievable. Game. And I remember we we actually you and I met really the next season in 2014, the infamous Penthouse Magazine story. Oh by the wow! Way. Um, but but what, <laughs> I, what I wanted to what I wanted we still you know, and just for the record, Matt wrote a, an, ar- an article on the team. And I said at the time, I mean, you have to, you can't blame us. No one believed you were actually really on the level with this. But you, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna go travel with the team. You're gonna pay for my hotel, your food, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you like, were oh. like, yeah. You were like, yeah, okay, this guy's living on our dime for a little bit here, but he's gonna write this story. It's in Penthouse, and I think the conversation we had was, look, we know this is never going into Penthouse. We're gonna just get rid of this guy once and for all. Once, <laughs> once it's never happening. And it happened. And it happened. So we're we're forever in debt to you. On he that. really thought amazing. that that wasn't gonna happen. I came up with it an award-winning photographer. Like the guy took yeah. that uh, that kid was a, he, his name is Anrong Zhu. He was a neighbor of mine growing up. But he's like a he like this kid takes pictures in like Hong Kong. Like during wars and stuff now, like like uprisings and stuff. Yeah. He's like a world class. Right. We we went all over. Matt Carancy, but but really yeah. the time I want to talk about because I, I, I unless you want to talk about every single transaction you oh, made, in we can do. We love it. But what I want to say is, you know, <laughs> I got a great memory of it. That was a great part. championship. It's the only championship it in is. Danbury hockey history. No, no matter what. But listen, there's a hundred things that were in play. Yeah, oh, kind of. Yeah. There were some. There were some lease issues, some money issues. The thing ends. But I really want to talk to you. I actually want to get like Joe Rogan deep with you because yeah. you and I are the only person that share that share that experience of when there was no hockey in Danbury, and I came to visit you at Riverside Church. <clears throat> oh, <clears throat> you remember that day? I, I I remember speaking on the phone. Do we do we actually meet up there? Yeah. I can't even remember. Now. I came up there and I said, "This is." This is just not what this guy should be doing. This, this, this. It wasn't because you were good or bad at work. He was working with a legendary uh, youth basketball yeah. program, doing some fundraising and stuff, and it was an admirable job, a decent job. But at the same time, I was like, this guy is the ringmaster in a circus that the uh, lights have been out, you know. Uh, and and it's like I, I want you just to address on the show because i don't think yeah. a lot of people know what you went through to actually get it back but i saw where you were yeah 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 well i mean let's just say it was um we had i'll still say it i mean we had a 10-year lease and the arena said we had a five and uh they didn't like some of the things we were doing and the way we were operating and they made a decision to end our lease and you know what i learned was you know, it's not about kicking and screaming. It's about who can win a, you know, a legal battle. And even if you can win a legal battle, there's a cost to it. And um, what I learned was it was an unwinnable fight. It was unwinnable um, because even if we won, we were in a building where the the landlord, the owner of the building, didn't want us, <clears throat> and they and they had their reasons. So that being said, we exited. And uh, I went on to then work uh, two seasons in the National Women's Soccer League uh, for the team Sky Blue. It was it was an interesting experience. Uh, Feel like a fish out of water. Or? It was it was definitely different uh, because you, you know you see you see today like how there's a lot of these issues where um, <clears throat> you know there's a lot of things where women's sports I think are. You know the landscape isn't the same, so I I felt like we were battling a lot of that stuff all the time. Like, hey, we're, we're like 
the owners of the team were trying to um they were losing let's just say a million dollars a year and i i think they were like hey we're, we're we believe in you know we believe in women's sports and this this program and we were backing you but all they got was heat like it was just like they 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 got so much grief i felt i always felt bad for that so when i was there we i thought we did some good things um but there was like there was always like this kind of theme of hey these are the greatest female soccer players in the world they're not going to uh freehold borough uh junior varsity um girls team soccer practice so we can sell 30 tickets and i i was like no that's what we need to do we need to we need to go to like i felt like let's identify the market of where we can really hit home runs here and let's just keep repeating that so i said hey we should do every promotion we can with every female girls soccer team or every every female soccer team in the in the state we had that kind of draw uh we should go to practices we should go to games we should set up you know we should send if we if there's 30 girls on the team on sky blue we should we should go to you know 100 tickets yourself yeah yeah, right we should go we should be at a different practice every night and it wasn't always easy to get that done to get that executed so that was there were some challenges ultimately i wasn't there anymore and i went to work for riverside um my buddy jared moses my one of my partners today one of my partners with the whalers one of my fraternity brothers best guy in the world um He's like, hey, my son is playing for the Riverside Hawks, and they really need some help fundraising. He's like, here's an opportunity. Can you can you give him a hand? I was like, yeah. It's like I love I love this team. I love selling. So what what I did, I spent like, I think I was there for about a year, and I spent a year combing the streets of Harlem in New York City, talking to people about uh, this legendary basketball program, which was for kids, you know, under eighteen, mm-hmm. and how they were using basketball to create academic opportunity and it was a great message and i I tell you i had conversations with people that i never could have reached through some of the professional sports because it was such a great story it was such a great initiative it was like you know it was a different type of ask it wasn't like we were saying uh hey your sign is going to be on this wall here and you're going to be seen it was like no hey your 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 organization's money is going to directly to yeah, yeah directly directly to this program and what that means is you know academic support um paying for tutors paying for trips where there's exposure um one of the things we did was excuse me we uh these were these were kids and families from I mean you know from some tough economic backgrounds, so one of the things we did was we created a promotion where uh, one family was going to get sent to Orlando to watch the Riverside Hawks play in one of these tournaments. So it was pretty cool because a lot you know a lot of times the families could only see the local games they they could never go on a road trip, but. Uh, you know that was that was good stuff. We we did a lot of good things, and you know when when there, you were surrounded by that type of energy and enthusiasm for a program, I thought it was awesome. So anyway, from there, the hat tricks came back, or the you know that from there was my return to the arena. And uh, I forget the question you asked me, but how did it? Yeah, like well, <clears throat> I, you oh, know, you, you right. Yeah, like what well, well, 
what I what I kind of want to ask you is, I don't know if it's a personal question, but at that that time when I came to visit you at Riverside, that time, did you th- yeah. did you ever think you were getting back here? I you know I mean if you asked me to really uh, you know say yes or no, I probably would have had to say no. The odds would have been so long against it. But I was always you know I was always talking to people like I mean I would talk to Billy McCreary all the time before this, and I would just say hey what what's the pulse on a rink? What's this like? We me and Billy had a setup we were going to go to in York, Pennsylvania. We were we were really? yeah, we we were going to put a team there. We and I was like, "Hey, it's I was like it's just going to be me and you, you know. Uh, I was like you you're in New Jersey and I'm in Connecticut and I was like, "But I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to drive these 4 hours and you know, it would have been crazy, but I knew I, I I thought I was going to get back to hockey. I I, I certainly I remember telling my my mom and dad being like, "Hey, someday I want I want to, you know, be back in Danbury and buy that arena." And I'm sure they were like, "You're insane, you know. That's never going to happen." Um but it did. But it but it did. Yeah, you know, and um so, you know, we talked about the ending and the the of the Whalers and what I thought was one of again, like a a top 100 moment of my life was when we reached out to Floyd Hall Enterprises and we said, hey, uh, you know, we know there's no hockey. Uh, we'd like to discuss purchasing the building. And Larry Hall, um, you know, basically the guy who said, hey, we're not renewing the lease. He said that to me and Alan Friedman. We said, we're not renewing it. We're not bringing you back. He approached, <clears throat> approached me. He's like, yeah, come on down. So I was sitting in the office in Montclair for Floyd Hall Enterprise, an office I had sat in many times previously and only really had the one bad day there. And uh, I was thinking to myself, okay, what's what's going to be the response to Larry? You know, Larry Hall was Floyd Hall's son, and he basically ran the company. And it was, he, you know, he made the decisions. And he, um, Larry and I always had a great relationship. And it, it was tough when it ended. So I didn't, I didn't know how it was going to react. And... To Larry's credit, he came out into the lobby, and I was sitting there, and I was nervous. And he looked at me, and he's like, "Herm, you know, like I'm showing you now." And he he hug, gave me a gave me a hug, and, and then we had a great conversation about buying the building. And 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 with me that day was my fraternity brother Ken Bidzinski, or my fraternity, um, my fraternity brother Chris Bunano, one another one of my Sigit fraternity brothers. And Ken Bidzinski, who's a partner. Great guy, friend yeah, of the show. Ken, yeah. One of the best guys. Yeah. <clears throat> Unreal guy. And Ken was with us. He, he was their attorney. And, um, you know, then we went in. We had a great conversation with Larry. And Jared Moses was on the phone with us there. And, uh, you know, really to to meet with Larry. And, and I felt like as we talked through the whole thing with Larry, it was just kind of like I, I, could, I could see it and he, feel it with him. You know, he was like, hey, you know. He was like, man. You know I, what? I just want to give some context really quick because we, we did speak about this a little earlier. Just to give context, Herm was an employee <laughs> of Floyd Hall Enterprises, and that yes. fam- it was a family business. Family business, yeah. And yeah. I, I believe, I be, to be honest, you know, kind of man to man, I've been in a family business situations where yeah. I worked for them for a long time. I had to leave. Things didn't work out. Yeah. I came back. It's like the you know the, the different things happen. I mean, I'm sure I can only imagine. When you yeah. work for a family business, and maybe at times you were treated like family, or 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 just treated like employee, but at the, yeah. at, the at the end of the day, 
there's some closure there mentally as a man and as a as a, oh, as yeah. a human that says, hey, you know what? This was business. This wasn't. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? No, I remember at the end of the day, I even went back to Larry after our meeting and I said, hey, that was really, you know, it was really cool and I appreciate it. And I did get a lot of closure on a lot of things. And uh, I thought that helped me with, with the journey back here. So, you know, we left that day and uh, myself, Chris, Jared and Ken, we kind of put together a plan and... Uh, you know, I, I remember I made a list of like a thousand people and I said, okay, uh, do I know someone who would be interested in this or do I, or do they know someone who knows someone who they could direct me to? And I knew I could, I knew if I could speak to enough people, I could find, uh, some partners with it. And, and really Chris Bunano had a relationship with the diamonds and he's like, Hey, here's, here's a couple guys. And so probably, um, probably like a month, six weeks after we had that initial meeting um met with jim and bill diamond at the denver ice arena and uh gave him a vision and i i joke around about it and i say i I don't know even know what we were saying that day you know but you guys just believed in us and uh you know i can't thank you enough so you know again you talk about like my journey and what i you know you're you were saying hey you did all this I really, I I just kind of like funneled some things, like some, you know, without the diamonds, none of this gets to where it is today and the things we're doing. So, uh, and I would love to have them on the show, but I just yeah. want to ask you one question about that. Did did you show them any pictures of the arena, video of hockey games here? What uh, was oh the... yeah, oh yeah. So, um, we met them. Other than like a sizzle reel, did you show them like raw footage of you know? Yeah. Well, so at the. Um, as this was progressing, um, you know, Larry Hall said, hey, go to the arena anytime you need anything and try to, you know, whatever assets you need, you know, they're yours. You, you know, use them and best of luck to you. So the meeting that Chris had set up with Jim and Bill Diamond was at the arena. So I had, I mean, I had a file that was 100 pages deep of numbers and pictures and statistics and here's where here's what the arena looked like when the whalers played there here's what it looked like when the trashers played or the titans here's the here's the effect that pro hockey had and you know it was simple stuff like hey here's how many nights the arena was selling alcohol here's how many here's how many ticketed events happened so it was kind of like hey here's some things that we could do to uh, improve what the Danbury Ice Arena was currently doing. And uh, so, yeah, we met at the arena. We walked around the building. And, um, you know, Jim and Bill really just said, uh, we're in. Like, it it took uh, about an hour. And, again, like, I, I, I say it, like, now, today, looking back, like, I probably didn't sell them anything in an hour. They probably, you know, they were really versed and knew a lot, and I, I think they wanted to be involved. I think they, I think they, they probably, um, you know, I, I think they're they in want, the entertainment business. Yeah, yeah they. Yeah. I think they're yeah. like, hey, they're like, hey, we're successful guys. We can, we can do this. We can put our diamond properties, diamond management um, procedures in place. Yeah, and and it'll work. And you know, I, I look the arena looks phenomenal and all the credit in the world to them and what they've built and the people they 
I'm, when when I say the people they put in charge, I'm not saying me. I'm saying uh, you know, Bo Trumbull was a guy. He put a lot of good ideas. Bo in. put a tremendous yeah. amount of work. I mean, Nick Garofalo, Chris, Nick. my partner. There, you know, ton of guys have done some phenomenal. And, and work. another guy that I'd like to very quickly mention. We're, we are kind of running out of time. But That's it. This has been great. This is flying. I, another another guy I kind of want to quickly mention yeah. is the new ice guy. Whoa. This is another guy. Jimmy B. Yeah. Behind the scenes, this guy is, he's up there with one of the archangels of getting that yeah, ice back in yeah. shape. Yeah. He, he has done a phenomenal job. Uh, Jim Brundage. Uh, Jim Brundage, yeah. Is, uh, he's a master of his craft. And, you know, you run across guys like this who this are. This guy studies the ice systems all over the world he, at different he's, arenas. He's That's literally beyond. what he's into. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it, to me it's amazing working with a guy like that because you, know, you can really just say, Hey Jim, just just do Go. this. Yeah. Just do it, and like you're not even gonna question it. And you know it get, it gets done, and you can you know he can do it in his sleep. Um, I'm not an out. NHL player, and I don't play in hockey in this league. And the players can say whatever they want. They skate on every day. I think the ice is a lot improved from even oh, just skating yeah. around. I I've had the mustache classic here. We had four years already, and I think the ice has gotten better. Definitely a big jump in the last year since Jim's yeah. involved. So shout out to Jim. Yeah, tell us, definitely. tell us secrets that are going on. Tell us something that 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 you know we need to know here. Wow. Uh, well, as it relates about the Danbury about the Danbury Hatricks. Okay. Um, I was going to give you a Super Bowl pick if you wanted that, but uh, no. All right. I was, which I, you know what? Before Garoppolo got hurt, I liked the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> I, thought, I thought they were going to sneak in. And I thought they were going to play. Uh, I thought they were going to get through the East. They were going to beat Philly, and I thought they were going to surprise whoever comes out of the well, AFC. Philly took a little dive. They well hurt. I think yeah. Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Getting hurt. Yeah. You know, really socked them. That he showed his value. Um, that that being said, Minshew is a good quarterback. But look, maybe maybe the pick is still on point with uh, with Purdy as their quarterback, but. Uh, I don't think anyone can tell you who's coming out of the AFC. That is just Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas City. Um, who, who's the other? Uh, I'm missing another division winner. Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati. Who's? Uh, isn't there another division I'm missing? Um, I'm trying to think of. Oh, oh, uh, the Jaguars. Yeah. Look, the Jags. Uh, you know, look, don't be surprised if the Jags put a real scare into somebody. Anyway, um, something that's... Ha- you know what? I, I would just say... Um, I don't, switching I don't jerseys have, off. Yeah, what do you got? Nah, got I got nothing to a, announce. Nah, I, I really don't because, you know what? I think there's always good things that are happening. What do you got? You got something? I mean, anything on, like, the alumni weekend? Well, the alumni, the alumni weekend... Uh, we're still putting together, but it's going to be a tribute to the 2013 Danbury Whalers because it is, it is the 10 year anniversary, and I can tell you the alumni night has has been an unbelievable experience. I think for um, for the it's it's you know we love saying it's a win win. It's a winner for the fans, for the players, for the management. The guys on the team who have played in Danbury. They deserve a weekend to come back here and and be celebrated as heroes. I'm not talking just the Whalers. I'm talking everybody, the front office people, uh, the Trisha Coes, the Jed Wilson, Phil Jubileo, uh, AJ Galante, Jim Galante. Um, 
you know, it's it's a great it's a great time when these guys come out and they're cheered and they're applauded and uh, they see their buddies. Uh, it's it's awesome. I I, I love it. Um, I I live for days like that. Like to me, the greatest the greatest uh, joy is um, doing something for someone else. And you know, when you give them that opportunity to have that stage, it um, I think they love it. And uh, it's awesome to make them to make them happy. And uh, uh, look, the people who have played hockey or managed to hockey or did whatever, coached front office, played whatever, owned, they they should be celebrated in that building all the time because everything that was done, good, bad, or indifferent, it was part of the hockey history. And uh, you know, even the even the New England Stars, the you know, those guys should come back. I don't know that we yeah, we actually probably a couple have been back. Eric Lind, uh, Seifert, Espo, uh, probably a couple others. But uh, yeah, all these guys. We have in our usual nights. We got a New <clears throat> Haven night coming up. This yeah, year. New Haven night is February fourth. The jerseys are unbelievable. We uh, we did a little different look to it this year. It's a New Haven Nighthawk jersey, mm-hmm. but in Hattrick's colors. Mm-hmm. So it's black and orange. So um, that's going to be cool. Yeah, it is. It is, and it's sublimated, so okay. it'll really look. Um, it's going to look. I you know can't tell you. I'm a jersey snob, and I'm never. I'm ne- I'm very anti-sublimated jersey. I'm very. I know you got your classic, and you got to do it a certain way, for you know for a few reasons, but. There's some great sublimated jerseys. Pro jerseys got to be tackling twelve. <clears throat> yeah, I, yeah, look, I agree. But you know, for the promotional nights, it's different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, it's right, a one-off. It's we a... can we can get them quicker, and we can do more with it. So we we are wearing it, and um, it's it's going to look great. Um, I I got to figure out what we're doing with the Whalers night because I've had some you know some people have given me some thoughts, and um, you know it's not about it's not about me. It's not what I want it's what I I think I take a lot of advice and opinions from other people and and then try to ultimately make that decision um, if it's my decision yeah I'd say hey we should wear our Danbury Whalers green you know full green with the white D and that that was my that was probably my favorite jersey um, but I've had some people say hey you should wear the Whalers jersey but it should be in Hattrick's colors okay yeah. that's an idea or you should do like we did with the Trashers, where it's the Whalers jersey in green with the Hattricks logo on it. And then other people have said, uh, or maybe you know, maybe just throw the Whalers D on the current Hattricks jersey. So there's some there's some good ideas out there, and um, but I think we'll go sublimated. So the plan, you know, I mean, this is how hockey works, unfortunately, sometimes. But the plan was when Mississippi came to town, that was going to be the night because Phil Esposito and Matt Carancy, both part of that team. Well, now Espo's not there anymore. So just trying to figure out, um, is it, does that weekend still work? Is it still the same? Does, you know, I think Phil is an important guy to, to be here. That'd be great. Um, you know, but I don't want, I, I don't want him to be uncomfortable. Um, but you know, I also want Matt to be here and that was kind of the weekend we had planned. So, uh, you know, I just got to call him and, and figure, figure that out. But, uh, you know, all good. There's, there's, there's so many nights that we do like, you know, giveaways and promotions and different things. It, 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 
I think it's a, I think every night is a great night. I really do. I I um you know, I think my total number uh, you know, 150 let me let me do some quick math here. Uh, 150 uh probably another 30. You know, I'm probably at like about 250 professional games in Danbury. And you know, probably about 30 a year. Only that little. Yeah, I well, was say. just it's just the home, home games. games. It's just yeah, home yeah, games. Yeah, home so games, you know, yeah. yeah. So if you count, you know, if you said, "Hey, five Whaler seasons," I'm just averaging it right, out. Right. It's probably a little more, but let's just say five Whaler seasons, thirty games a year. So let's call that one fifty, and then three hat trick seasons, add another ninety. So you know, two forty, and then playoffs. And, uh, it it's yeah, it's a now. If you you know, it's um, my my point is. Out of those 220, you know, probably it's like 220 right now, every game has been a thrill for me. Every yeah. every game. It's never been, I I don't want to be here. It's never, there's never been a moment like that. Like, And, I, you know, and people, like, a lot of times people ask me about, hey, what was the, you know, what was the championship night like? That must have been the greatest night of your life. Well, it, it actually was, is the one of the strangest and this is how i would describe it it was like leading up to that week we were up two games to nothing on dayton and there was a ton of hype there was there was a ton of stories written in the news times that week and um you know just about hey bringing a championship to danbury like what's going to be like we knew the building was going to be packed we'd sold a ton of tickets it was going to be just jumping like crazy which it was and um the building was absolutely electric Phil Coin scored the first goal. He rang it off the crossbar and it went in. And and to this, you know, to this moment, I always say that was probably the loudest I ever heard the arena when it went. You know, loud even louder than when we won the championship. That moment when we scored the first goal, and then we just kept laying it on him. And it was it was a great moment. But I I would always say, as someone who worked so many days in that building, like if you Pat, if you counted days, yeah. Well, okay, now now take. 365 times 9, so let's say 400. So probably, uh, you know, 3,500 days of walking into that arena. Mm. That's a long time. Um, Every day felt like a championship. Every day felt like the Stanley Cup, and that's what it feels like, and that's what I always want. So I felt like when we won, I felt like that was the, the, the high that I would feel every day walking in the building. I felt like the fans were at that highest level. Like oh, I, I would always say, my passion and my energy for this team and city and building, and what we do is I'm I'm going 110 percent every day in everything I do. And when we won the championship, I felt like the fans were feeling that same thing. So it was it was like uh, I mean, th- am I saying that correctly? Is it's it's experience in the same thing yeah, yeah it was it was like like look we have we have the greatest fans but it was like that like to me it was just like that was the that was the greatest day for me because the fans loved it like the to see the fans rejoice to hear to hear the fans tell the stories about hey i was out at this bar with the guys till this hour and we did this and then we went over here and did this and it was awesome and i remember my night my, i remember the day after we won or we won the championship. I'm at two steps. I go to Three Brothers Diner with Phil Esposito, Guy Gugolami, Milai, the whole crew, the stat crew. You know, that was like a tradition. That's what we would do. We would go to Three Brothers. It was 24 hours a day. 
probably got into my house like around three or four in the morning and my kids were with my parents and I remember so we won on a Friday night Saturday morning I was at Danbury Mall probably at 8 a.m. on the carousel with my kids and I, I remember posting like hey this is what a championship looks like it was you know hey I'm a, I'm a dad and that was the reality that's what the, that's what the role called for the next day and uh, it was it was cool it was it was a great great moment that does was... does Max remember it or <laughs> no they they, was they he four? Mac well 2013 yeah he was probably uh no one no, no, he was oh he was born in Sammy was 08 Max was 09 uh, I, he was three or four, depending upon. No, I guess he was three because he was born in August. So yeah, he he was he wouldn't remember it. Um, but I have some great pictures of him in the locker room with the guys and uh, eating sandwiches with the players over the years and um, good stuff. You know, they they uh, you know I always joke with Max. He he would always call it the uh, the tromboni, not the zamboni. <laughs> and uh, you know, the, the, those were great moments for the kids to have them grow up and and now they're both working at the arena i was just about to ask you how does that feel as a father now it's it's unreal well look number one i have to mention uh i have three kids i have jilly sammy and max and they all work at the arena they each do different things jilly is involved with the uh, the stat team and they keep in the numbers and she also works at the front desk and uh, Sammy is involved with the video crew, right, Pat? She's yep. doing a good. Is she doing a good job? Is she, oh, is she yeah. holding? No, she's holding. She's it holding down. her, holding her own. Okay, that's good. Yeah, Sammy does replays and scoreboard stuff and message centers, so she enjoys that. And Max is a hustler. Max is selling chucka pucks. And I love it. When I see him around, I'm so happy like, that he's yeah, out there. And yeah, yeah, you know, I tell you, well, I grew up in a family business. My grandfather started a shoe store in Freehold, New Jersey in 1945, and I appreciate the value of all hands on deck and, you know, giving the kid, giving, you know, giving the kids a chance for that opportunity. So for all the things that I love about the arena, I love that my family can experience it uh, with me. And, um, you know, uh, Heather, who, um, you know, my my number my number one, my beautiful, loving lover, my Heather, um, she loves coming to the games and being a part of it. And she's she's my she's my biggest supporter. She uh, I couldn't do any of this um, if it wasn't for her. Well, you know, you got. Carolina Friday and Saturday. Yeah, what's yeah. going on? Well, you know, uh, number one with Carolina on Friday night, um, we're gonna have a very special ceremony for one of our fans who recently passed, Melanie Frankel. And uh, you know, you talk about the the fabric of hockey in Danbury, and uh, Melanie is part of that. And uh, she was uh, from the Trashers days all the way to the Hattricks and following the team as fanatically as she can and as, passion- as passionately. Uh, she had a Hattricks license plate. Um, she had ALS and uh, just a brutal uh, illness, sickness, uh, disease. And uh, it ultimately, uh, you know, uh, ultimately she passed really just uh, the other day on January 1st so uh, we're going to honor her before the game and uh, her family is going to be there uh, we've made a video I haven't seen it in 
full yet, but uh, a lot of nice tributes from past players uh, who were really connected to Melanie. So uh, the family will be there. We're going to let the family speak or, the you know, they we ask them to speak on her behalf and they 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 uh if they're up to it they will i know a couple of guys in our organization will speak and um and i i will be speaking just representing the organization saying some of the things that we're going to do to honor uh melanie's legacy uh going forward so that's really the start to the weekend which will it will be emotional um, I think I think uh, I think the guys could rise to the occasion after that. And, oh uh, yeah. And I also think that you know, uh, Pat and I uh, extended our condolences at the top of uh, at the top of the show, and we want to reiterate our our, uh, our sympathy and our yes. compassion for the Franco family. It's it's sad to see one of our own go. Yeah. And uh, and and I know that uh, just the way that the the community has reacted has really been beautiful. So my hats off to everybody dealing with the situation and my thoughts are with the family of yeah the family um you know terrible terrible loss but uh you know what like as i was even saying to some people like it's it's one it's it's a of course there's grieving it's it's terribly sad but she was such a good person like i have so i have so many good memories of her as i'm as i'm talking about her um to other people or with her family um, it's just so positive, and uh, you know that—that's how I, I just want to remember her that way. So th- that really kicks the weekend off, and then um, Saturday night. Saturday night is um, oh well. Also, it's automotive appreciation night, so anyone, any auto workers will be—they uh, get a complimentary ticket, beverage, and a hot dog. And then Saturday night is first responders night, and we probably got about two hundred first responders who are going to be in the building with their families. It should be absolutely unreal we've got also a couple schools that are coming in uh, mitchell school in woodbury uh probably about they have about 200 people and you know when people when fans say to me hey um you know how do you feel the building is that uh is it is the team playing well is the team's on a winning streak amesbury's fighting everybody it's johnny ruiz is scoring it's entertaining yeah all those all those things come into play and but what we always have to be doing is is always be out there uh, promoting the brand, talking to people, uh, going to schools, doing assemblies, uh, being out there. And, you know, that's that's what we really focus on a lot. So the building is going to be packed this uh, more so Saturday. Saturday will be uh, filled to the gills. Friday, not as much. Still be a good crowd. But, uh, you know, but because the team is playing well, because it's exciting. There will be people who will walk up and, and purchase tickets, but uh, um, you know when when the building is filled, it's it's not an accident. It's we've sold, we've planned, and we've we've done things like that. So uh, uh, yeah, it's gonna, it's going to be an awesome weekend. And you know, one other you know again another somber note is it's also the one year anniversary of uh, Teddy Balkin passing the youngster. Also very down, sad. Yeah, yeah down in uh, Fairfield County. Uh, who lost his life on the rink. And uh, uh, we were connected to that family last year uh, through the Trashers, through Jim Galanti and the jerseys that we wore. We, uh, Jim made a donation, uh, really 100% of the sales of the Hattricks Trashers jerseys went to the family. Wow, I don't uh, think a lot of people knew that, honestly. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, well, it was it was it was Jim's idea, and uh, he he wanted to do it, and uh, you know, all all the credit to him and his family. And uh, you know, we we reached to um, the Balkan family this year, and just you know, expressed again our thoughts. Hey, we're we're still thinking about Teddy. We're always thinking about him. Uh, so we're we're gonna wear stickers on our helmet this year. Um, you know, look, it's it's a tough one with with that family, very very tough. But uh, look, I'm talking about two things that just coincidentally are happening this weekend in the building, both involving the loss of life. That being said, yeah, it's, it's a, still it's still going to be just goes to show that hockey's got the best community, and you guys are out there trying to make yeah. connections and support people. So it's yeah, it, look, it's a it's a community uh, destination, and that's how we always want to you know look if this is a v, look I. I I think you know again like I, I was at the funeral. The team actually was at the funeral for Melanie the other day, and it was a beautiful service in that you know paying tribute to her and all her kindness and and the person she was. Um, to have a ceremony at the game on Friday uh, for the family, you know, again I think this is a chance for our fans who loved Melanie to really say to the family uh, how much she meant to them. Yeah. There's so many people. So it's, uh, I, I think, you know, again, while we're, we're celebrating something so awful, it's, I, I'm, I'm just so honored to be doing that, to being a part of it with the family, with the Frankel family and our fans and our players and organization. Yeah. When it comes to the team and the fans, man, you're, your heart's always in the right place, and the team does do the, the right thing often. So it's 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 good to see, it's good to see that happening. And um, I think that's it. I think we talked that's about it, a lot. Of that's we, it. We love you, Pat. Yeah, anything again. else, man? Come on, nothing. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it was a pleasure having you. This is this is definitely this one of our top really episodes. Good one. This is going to be. Yeah. Well, I, well it's, uh, look, I, 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 you guys are over, but look, keep going, with Billy McCreary. He's he's. Jim Galante, AJ, these guys are great. Yeah, really T Bone, yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I I'm just part of it. Uh, I'm a I'm a spoke in the wheel. I I will just say I love Danbury hockey. I love the opportunity the community has given and supported, and uh, you know, pack guys like you to come in and see you. You know, look, you know, you know, it's a proud moment for me. Like when I hear that Pat. And Calvin are both working in Bridgeport, and I hear stuff like that, and I'm like, "Well, that probably happened because you had on your resume that you were yeah. working here. Is that accurate?" A lot of people yeah. get an opportunity. Oh, yeah, and, and I love I love hearing that. And there could be more uh, yeah. things in the future too. Well, you guy, never know what could. Yeah, go. guys like mm-hmm. Casey Bryan and Jack O'Mara and Josh Starr and all these guys. You know, they've they've come in here and. You know, they've whether you know whatever the role is. Uh, I can tell you, we got three guys, three three individuals who are working with us as interns right now in the winter break. Uh, West Virginia, UConn, and Endicott College, and these these individuals are working. You know, phenomenal for us, and uh, I look forward to what you know watching them develop and grow. And uh, you know, those are those are the the true dividends of what we do is watching. You know, people go out and have success in some other things and knowing that we were a part of their start and their journey.
Herm, we were lucky to have you come oh, on. You saved are. the day again. Somebody's playing. Oh, you, oh someone bailed on you. Someone bailed. Well, it was All a right. tough. We, we, we were we were working it out. This was it day. Amesbury? Was it Amesbury? No, 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 no. not that guy. He's, no. he's the best. No. Has he been on yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been on. Yeah, you got it. Everybody yeah. who signed this wall has been. Everybody on. who signed that wall. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, look, there's a lot of look. There's a lot of guys who can. How about Tyler Noseworthy? Is he on that one? He, he wants to come on. We got to get him. We're going to get him. Gonna, gonna get well, him on he's the wall. he's you know look. I would just pick his brain about what it was like being a guy in, uh, um, being a guy in that 2013 locker room because whatever he wants to say today, he was he was a very quiet young boy. Those days, you know, he he uh, he was very. He, well, listen, he, we're hoping we're hoping to put together some type of championship episode yeah. at some point to get few of the few of the participants. <clears throat> Involved and it, yeah. it would be great to have him on and you come back on. Yes. You know, oh well, the yeah. two, the 2013 team is near and dear to my heart always, uh, and those guys know it. The guys on that team, they know, they know. I'll never say no to them. Uh, I I always will say, uh, you guys gave me the ride of of a life of a lifetime, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life paying it back to you, and uh, I hope I have and. Uh, when we do alumni night this year, I hope a lot of I hope a lot of them can make it into town, and we plan on recognizing that team and all they accomplished and the joy they brought to the community. Awesome! See you this weekend, Herm. Thank you. And just like that, our ninth edition of Hattrick City comes to a close. As always, we want to wish you a very safe, happy, and healthy new year, and we hope to have you along for this great ride for Hattrick City as we're going to be doing more content this year. Some exciting stuff we got coming up again, like I mentioned, video podcasts and the ODR Classic. We're monitoring the weather on that, so the updates on that will come as soon as we can release them. Again, I have been DJ Patty Cake, and I thank you all for tuning in every week and listening. We'll see you next week for the 10th edition of Hattrick City. Peace.